How UAE oil money is greasing the wheels of academia. Justin Silhani. On Saadiyat Island, a glamorous cultural enclave off the coast of Abu Dhabi, you can stroll through the art galleries of the Louvre in the morning, lunch on the beachfront promenade, and take in a lecture at New York University before the day is done. Dotted around superstructures built by celebrity architects are luxury condominiums, shopping malls, a golf course, and pristine beaches. It is the proverbial miracle in the desert. For authoritarians worldwide, it's become a well-worn tactic to build strong, public-facing relationships with liberal institutions in an effort to cleanse their reputation on the global stage. This story looks at how the UAE has used a Western university not only to burnish its image, but to legitimize its fossil fuel agenda at the expense of the planet and academic freedom. When you look at cities such as Dubai and Abu Dhabi and elsewhere in the UAE, you see these massive residential developments all taking place in the desert, Columbia University professor Yasser El-Shashtoui, who taught at Alain University in Abu Dhabi for almost two decades, told me. There's no water or infrastructure, so all of that has to be supplied, he explained. It's a mode of development that is clearly unsustainable. Nevertheless, the United Arab Emirates has, declared, 2023 to be the year of sustainability. It insists its critics are wrong, that its status as one of the world's largest producers of oil and gas enables rather than hinders its commitment to cutting emissions and making a green transition. Proof of that commitment, the UAE says, is the seriousness with which it is approaching its responsibilities as host of the 2023 United Nations Climate Change Conference, colloquially known as COP28. From November 30, world leaders, corporate honchos and thousands of delegates will descend on Dubai, the shiny, gleaming face of the UAE, for the most consequential climate conference of the year. At the helm of this global jamboree will be the most controversial COP president in history, Sultan Ahmed Al-Jaber, an Emirati government minister and the president of the national oil company, Adnoc, which produces an average of 3.2 million barrels of oil each day. Critics, among them, rights groups, climate scientists, and politicians, have dismissed COP28 as the UAE's attempt to greenwash both its poor human rights record and its intent to ramp up its production of fossil fuels. While the country plans to spend $54 billion over the next seven years on tripling its supply of renewable energy, Adnok alone has said it will spend $150 billion by 2027 on, among other things, boosting its oil production capacity to 5 million barrels per day. In order to carry out this strategy, the UAE is actively shoring up political power and legitimacy in the global arena. Just days ago, the BBC and the Centre for Climate Reporting released dozens of leaked briefing documents showing how Al Jaber has been using his position to advance Adnok's oil-thirsty agenda in pre-COP meetings with governments. But states are not the only players at the table. Arun Keshavarzian, an associate professor of Middle Eastern and Islamic Studies at NYU, described for me how the UAE was cultivating a network of powerful political and economic allies and then pointed to his own employer, NYU, as one of them. The story began in 2007, when now former NYU president John Sexton announced that NYU would open a branch in Abu Dhabi. At the time, he promised that it would reflect the academic quality and practices of the parent campus located in New York's Washington Square, including adherence to our standards of academic freedom. Yet for some faculty and staff at the main campus, this didn't sit well. 
many had questions about whether they could expect to have real academic freedom in an autocratic state. Sexton didn't give these concerns serious attention, current and former NYU professors told me. There was very little transparency over what this partnership entailed, Keshavarzian said. According to the U.S. Department of Education, NYU's main campus has received more than $160 million from the UAE in gifts and contracts since 2007. NYU's Abu Dhabi Institute provides around $19 million per year in research funding to New York-based faculty and the Abu Dhabi satellite, alongside the university's other satellite campus in Singapore, gives a further $21 million per year toward faculty expenses and management fees in New York, according to a financial overview from 2019. These payments appear to have put the NYU brand name firmly into the hands of UAE officials and that's on full display this week, with NYU Abu Dhabi co-chairing a network of UAE-based universities to drive engagement among youth and academia in the lead-up to COP28. According to the official COP28 website, student groups from NYU Abu Dhabi will also be attending COP. In the past, student delegations have been funded by oil companies and ADNOC subsidiaries. The university's state-of-the-art campus on Abu Dhabi's Saudiyat Island also is completely funded by the UAE government, and until recently the UAE, which draws 30% of its gross domestic product from oil and gas, fully paid all students' tuition, regardless of their country of origin. The satellite campus's largest research grant of $1.8 million comes from ADNOC, the state oil company. For those students, and for NYU, it's hard to imagine a better deal, money-wise. Financing indeed seems to be a critical driver of the partnership between the Emirati government and NYU. But while the Emirati government has footed the bill for every expense of the Abu Dhabi campus, from infrastructure to staff salaries to student tuition, professors I spoke with say that the agreement has brought serious caveats that stand in the way of scholarly inquiry. From visa denials for faculty to travel to the UAE to influence over the funding and focus of climate-related research and red lines around public criticism, professors in the social and natural sciences said that the priorities of the Emirati regime are evident on both the Abu Dhabi and New York campuses of NYU. Subscribe to our authoritarian tech newsletter. From biometrics to surveillance, when people in power abuse technology, the rest of us suffer. Written by Ellery Biddle. The issue of fossil fuel emissions is an easy place to start. Climate scientists, human rights groups, and the UN Secretary General all have warned that the failure to phase out fossil fuels will have devastating results for the environment and human life. The imperative to reduce greenhouse gas emissions is unquestionably urgent and ought to top the agenda at COP28. Yet the issue is conspicuously absent from the body of research underway in the Climate and Environmental Studies Department at NYU's Abu Dhabi campus. Consequences of climate change, like damage to coral reefs and the warming of the Arabian Sea, have top billing on the department's research agenda instead. If they are not actively researching how to decommission fossil fuels, then they're missing a big piece of the equation, Jerome Whitington, an anthropologist of science and environment at NYU, told me at a busy cafe a few blocks from Washington Square Park in September. An institution only funding research into how to manage the effects of climate change is a problem.
Natalie Koch, a political geographer at Syracuse University who specializes in oil and energy geopolitics in the Arabian Peninsula, has participated in climate science-related events in Abu Dhabi since 2017. She explained that, Tamkeen, an Emirati LLC that functions as a subsidiary of the UAE's Executive Affairs Authority, funds much of the research done by NYU Abu Dhabi's Climate and Environmental Studies Department. More broadly, she said, Tamkeen plays an important role in defining campus priorities. No one in New York or Abu Dhabi will admit to Tamkeen's state affiliation, Koch told me. But she found in her research that Tamkeen staff were key decision-makers who would sometimes suggest certain research directions. Professors I spoke with at the Emirati campus said the university hadn't interfered with their research. But they also indicated that there were politically sensitive topics that couldn't be discussed or red lines that couldn't be crossed. Everyone who works at NYU 80 is well aware of where the red lines are, what they can and can't do, said Koch. The effects of these restrictions also became apparent as I reported this story. I spoke to six professors at the Abu Dhabi campus, but only one spoke on the record. The rest spoke off the record or on background for fear of professional reprisal. One former NYU Abu Dhabi professor put it to me this way, I think a lot of faculty there truly believe that they have complete academic freedom. But I think others of us who are constantly on that red line were a lot more aware of it. The professor asked that their name be withheld over fear of retaliation or harassment at work. Faculty who taught subjects that the UAE might have found controversial were slowly pushed out, they explained. They also told me that the university administration used tactics like gaslighting to create an untenable and unpleasant work environment. There are clear limits on what any academic or researcher in the UAE can do or say to the extent that you can never really be directly critical of the government, the professor told me. There's a really big carrot that's hanging there, they said, referring to the NYU Abu Dhabi salaries, which faculty sources told me were exponentially higher than at the New York campus. And if you aren't culturally sensitive or causing trouble, then there's a stick. Although none of the professors I spoke to who currently teach at NYU Abu Dhabi said they felt they had limits on their academic freedom, nearly all of them said that there is an inherent understanding that academic freedom stops at the campus gates. It might seem unsurprising that a university entirely funded by a country like the UAE would not support on-campus research undermining its primary export. But the UAE government's reach appears to extend beyond the Abu Dhabi campus, well into the seemingly liberal bastion that is NYU's main campus in New York City. Alongside the $160 million that the university has received from the UAE since the launch of the partnership, two Emirati government officials have been given seats on NYU's Board of Trustees. One is Rima Al-Mokarab, who also chairs the Board of Tamkeen and works for the UAE's Executive Affairs Authority. The other is Khaldun Khalifa Al-Mubarak, the chairman of the Executive Affairs Authority and the CEO of Mubadala Investment Company. Mubadala made headlines due to its involvement in a 2015 labor scandal in which upwards of 10,000 mostly South Asian construction workers who were brought to Abu Dhabi to build out NYU's campus there were found to have been underpaid, forced to work overtime and made to live in substandard housing conditions. Al-Mubarak is nevertheless among the university's 43 voting trustees, alongside Al-Mokarab. And then there is Lawrence Fink, vice chair of NYU's board and the chairman and CEO of BlackRock, one of the world's biggest investors in the fossil fuel industry. 
BlackRock and Mubadala have formed partnerships to the tune of billions of dollars. Both Almokarab and Fink sit on the NYU Board's Investment Committee, which oversees the university's endowment. Professors at NYU's main campus also have been barred from traveling to the UE for teaching and research. Andrew Ross, a professor of social and cultural analysis at NYU in New York, had planned to spend his 2015 spring break interviewing foreign laborers in Abu Dhabi about the conditions in which they lived and worked. Ross studied the experiences of migrant workers who toil under the exploitative, kafala, system in the UAE, through which wealthy companies and individuals recruit and retain workers from poorer countries, often under conditions that violate basic labor rights. Rights groups say these workers in the UAE face serious abuses, like long hours in extreme heat and unpaid or delayed wages. But when he arrived to check in for his Etihad Airlines flight at New York's John F. Kennedy International Airport, Ross was told he had been banned from the UAE for security reasons. Ross had written an op-ed in the New York Times the previous year, criticizing the kafala system and its use on Saudiad Island, with a keen focus on the construction workers who built NYU's Abu Dhabi campus and later became the subject of the Mubadala scandal. In March 2014, while in Abu Dhabi conducting research before the op-ed's publication, Ross told me that he was followed and that he later learned a private investigator had been hired to gather information about him. Ross said he received no support from the university's administration nor from then-NYU President Sexton when he was denied entry to the UAE. In 2017, Middle Eastern Studies professor Aran Keshavarzian and journalism professor Mohamed Bazi, both full-time professors at the New York campus, were preparing to teach classes at the Abu Dhabi campus, but were then denied the security clearances required for them to obtain work visas. The authorities never gave NYU a reason for the rejection, though Bazi suspected it might be his identity as a Shiite Muslim. Just like in Ross's case, the university administration offered no assistance in resolving the issue, and neither of them were issued visas. NYU's journalism department, where Bazi continues to teach, cut ties with NYU Abu Dhabi later that year. Ross says his ban from the UAE constitutes a violation of academic freedom, and he rejects the idea, espoused by professors at NYU AD, that academic freedom can be limited to the confines of a university campus. Academic freedom is rightly misunderstood. He told me from a cafe in the New York City neighborhood of Tribeca where he sipped a hot chocolate despite it being 90 degrees outside, amid the hottest September the Northern Hemisphere has ever seen. First of all, it's not an individual right, it's a collective right. Extramural speech protects anything you would say in your capacity as a professor, he said, referring to any speech that academics make outside of their official duties as a professor. It's tied to the existence of the profession itself. Most recently, Ross was granted an official pass to attend COP28, a process administered by the UN. But unlike other delegates coming from NYU, he once again was denied a visa to travel to the UAE. This fall, a small ray of hope emerged when NYU officially divested from fossil fuel companies. Alicia Colomer, a lead member of NYU's chapter of Sunrise Movement, the Environmental Activist Network, told me that the connections that board members like Al Mokarab and Al Mubarak have to the oil and gas industry were a primary obstacle for the divestment campaign. It took so long to even get them to admit fossil fuels cause climate change, she said, referring to the board. 
Our universities, including NYU, want to be lauded by the public on climate change, said Colomer. But they cannot be leaders until they cut off big oil. The decision to divest, which came after more than a decade of pressure by groups like Sunrise, marked a major victory. Related articles Why are climate skeptics speaking out about the Uyghur genocide? Nithin Koka https colon slash slash www.codastery.com slash science slash uigher dash genocide dash solar dash energy Sunscreen for the Earth could curb climate change. It could also destroy us. Isabel Cockerell https colon slash slash www.codastery.com slash science slash geoengineering dash solar dash climate dash change dash science Europe scrambles for gas in Africa despite climate concerns. Ruth Michelson. https colon slash slash www.codastery.com slash science slash Europe dash gas dash Mozambique dash Africa dash climate dash concerns. But another development on campus dwarfed this news. NYU appointed a new university president, Linda Jean Mills, the first woman to serve in the role. A former professor of social work and a top administrator of the university's global programs, Mills was crucial in bringing NYU Abu Dhabi into existence. Linda Mills was the right hand of the imperial president, John Sexton, in administering the Global Network University, Ross told me, referring to Sexton's vision for NYU's global evolution, of which NYU Abu Dhabi formed a central component. It was her baby. Will Mills continue NYU's lucrative relationship with the UAE government? My requests to her office for comment went unanswered. But faculty who attended meetings with her in early September, who asked not to be identified for fear of professional repercussions, said that NYU's satellite campuses feature heavily in her plans. That future remains to be seen, as does the future of our planet. But as long as the NYU-UAE relationship continues on its current trajectory, NYU will remain a tool in the Emirati government's arsenal, helping to burnish its reputation and perpetuate its predominance as a petrostate, and to ensure that the UAE can pump until the last drop. The story you just read is a small piece of a complex and an ever-changing storyline that CODA covers relentlessly and with singular focus. But we can't do it without your help. Show your support for journalism that stays on the story by becoming a member today. Coda Story is a 501c3 US nonprofit. Your contribution to Coda Story is tax deductible.